Hey guys, Matt Gurney here for Jen Gerson. It is the latest episode of The Line's Experimental Podcast, and we've had a weird week at The Line. So much breaking news was happening in the middle of the week, we decided to do a special dispatch. Normally we do our podcasts and our videos before we do the dispatch. This week we're doing two dispatches. So this podcast kind of lands in between the two of them where we spent the emergency dispatch on Wednesday talking a lot about China. And we're going to spend a big part of our weekend dispatch talking about the same. We're going to get you all updated on those stories. Also some media analysis, though. More bad news sweeping the industry right now. It's not fun to talk about, but we get you caught up on all of that and more on the latest episode of The Line's Experimental Podcast. Here we are once more. Uh, you you look less disheveled than normal. Um, do you, your kids are home today? Uh, well, my I, my uh, son has a half day on Fridays. So oh, I didn't know there. that. Mine did I, today, I, too. But yeah, like he doesn't normally. A, no, my, my, apparently in Alberta, I discovered this the hard way when I forgot to pick up my son. But anyway, no, Fridays are half day uh in alberta for or until when i think grade two is when that stops probably i'd love to bring that back for the 40 something journalists set um <laughs> so we did something unusual this week uh we put out a, a special dispatch on wednesday and the reason we did that was honestly because we were flagging stuff to talk about in the on the weekend dispatch and we realized if we didn't start triaging some of the stuff that was coming out we were just going to get buried because well, there was so much news that and we actually had a, a nice lineup all set up for this week and as always happens whenever we have a nice lineup for this week it all goes to shit because uh news happens and there were just like i didn't we had a couple pieces but i'm like i don't think that this makes sense to run in the midst of what's happening with all the china stuff no you were right and uh our our special dispatch did well it was well read uh, I want to mention this. I don't even mean to say this as a lament. It's just something I find interesting. So the POEC report came out two weeks ago today. Mm-hmm. I spent about five days reading it because it's massive. Just in time a... for it to become stale. So thank you. Yeah. And it's incredible, right? Like I, so I basically finished reading the thing by like Wednesday of the next week. And then I spent a couple of days gathering my notes. And then I was out of town last weekend. And then I wrote my column. We ran earlier this week. And the column did well. It did yeah. get like a it did it did it was very well read. It was like way above uh, average readership. So I still think there's public interest in the topic, but actual like news attention on it gone. It's just gone. Magic. It was it's... like last week's story, man. Boy, we it's we live in an era when the news. I think part of this is just because the size of the media is so small. Like everything that's left has to focus on breaking news du jour. There's no time to go deep on this stuff anymore. But boy, do we ever just etch a sketch stuff right off our memory? Uh, yeah, that's true. Also, we're getting older, so maybe everything's starting to feel faster as we can see that our youth slipping away from us. That's really depressing. <laughs> it's really depressing as a guy whose knee has been sore for two days for no reason. Um, um is it time for the knee surgery? No, not yet. Uh, but it's, you know, I we had a big blast of snow earlier in the week and I shoveled it. And then my, I was like, ah, my arm's a little sore. And my knee's a little sore. I'll feel better tomorrow. No, I felt worse every day for three days. And I finally woke up today feeling yeah. good. And there's 35 centimeters of snow coming tonight. So I don't even remember what the last week held for me. I'd completely forgotten it already. It's just boom, gone. It's a void. Well, that's, I mean, I don't know. We, we talked about all the China stuff, I guess, in, in the emergency dispatch on Wednesday. But to the extent that it's worth making any comments uh, kind of on the latest, um, the opposition parties, uh, the Conservatives, the Bloc, and the NDP, voted together on a non-binding motion to uh, have a, a public inquiry of some kind. It is non-binding, and only the executive can order an inquiry. So the Liberals would have to agree to this it would have to come from cabinet um and my i mean i was talking to Mackenzie gray of global he came on my radio show earlier in the week we were just talking about that and he goes it like the house can order the cabinet like by majority vote but the liberals could also make that majority vote a confidence motion so like this is going to squeeze the ndp so i don't know how the the politics of this is going to shake out one of the things that jumps out at me this week in my uh, POEC dispatch, 
I had uh, talked about Jody Thomas. She's the Prime Minister's National Security and Intelligence Advisor. And I wasn't impressed by her in my poet column. And I don't mean that in any personal way. But like one of my themes of talking about the convoy is that the feds, not in not meaning the liberals, but like the federal government, that level of our constitutional order didn't perform well during the convoy, but that just gets overlooked. And I, I think it gets overlooked because everyone thinks when we talk about the feds, we mean Justin Trudeau. Mm-hmm. And people go, oh, what could have Justin Trudeau done differently? Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe. But we have an entire layer of government that is the federal yeah. government. Justin Trudeau is not like a yeah. thousand armed man pulling yeah. all the levers. Like he does have a, a government ostensibly beneath him who does a lot of the work. And it didn't during POEC. Yeah. And I, I had specific criticisms of the national security apparatus uh, and the intelligence apparatus in the Canadian government who spent most of the crisis being like, what's going on? Are we supposed to do something? Who are we allowed to talk to? Why are you guys checking Twitter? Oh, did something happen? Like they were just in a fog. And this week, and I, I don't have any answer personally. I don't know anything about her personally, but Jody Thomas is not impressing me. She's the prime minister's uh, national security and intelligence advisor. And she went before the parliament this week. And first of all, she did acknowledge that there have been multiple briefings on election interference, which is kind of boxing the prime minister in a bit because he's denied having received uh, some. But she also said she repeated the prime minister's talking point from earlier in the week that unelected security officials don't get to dictate who runs in our democracy. What the fuck? That's a non sequitur. No one is saying that. And it was earlier in the week in uh, in in Toronto, well, in in suburbs, in, in Mississauga, the prime minister was with Doug Ford for jobs announcement. He's asked, "What did you know? When did you know it?" And he goes, "It's a really important principle that unelected security officials don't dictate who runs in our democracy." What the fuck? That wasn't the question. That was a talking point. That is literally the prime minister throwing a confetti bomb out there, and. And also, let's be noted, it's working. A little bit. I mean, I don't think it ended his problems, but we're talking about it. And you know what? Politicians get a politic. I get it. What the fuck is Jody Thomas doing repeating the PMO's talking points? That bothers me. That worries me. Yeah. No one is saying... Well, and also, it's like... Jesus gets a veto. The PM gets a veto. The issue is whether or not he used it wisely. Well, the issue with whether or not he was briefed in the first place. Note that one of the big things that confetti bomb does is it fails to answer the question about whether or not he was briefed. Because he can't go out and say, yes, I was briefed by CSIS on on Handong. I I chose to ignore that briefing because I had good reason to suspect it was incorrect or without admitting that you were briefed by CSIS and therefore have been lying for several months. And there, so, like, there I, is such an easy response to this, which was we were briefed, we saw the information, we didn't think the case was made. Yeah. And you know what? That's a very reasonable response. Yeah. You know and, what you I know, mean? Like, that, and it would be a 24 hour story and it's over. But the problem is he's bought, boxed himself in for so many months here on refusing to acknowledge that, that he and his team were essentially senior enough members of his team as to be, make no difference have been briefed on this. And if he hasn't been briefed on this, if senior members of this team have like have been briefed on this, but he specifically hasn't been, firstly, it's a, it's a, it's a semantic distinction. Secondly, yeah. it would mean that, bluntly, that the people who were technically briefed were being technically briefed ahead of him so that he could maintain deniability. Neither of these options is good. <laughs> I, I'd have to go back and look at the timeline, but isn't that a lot of what happened with General Vance when there were the sexual misconduct allegations against him? Like the, the PM was sort of strategically kept unaware of certain issues, but while the PMO failed to act. Yes, it was. I know nothing about this. Wink, wink, you know, touch the nose. <laughs> Sorry. And yeah, there's always going to be some of that going on, but the que- this is why I say like the actual question about whether or not Justin Trudeau himself was personally briefed is almost, it's not super relevant to the questions that I have about this story, because the point is that senior enough members of this, of the, of the prime minister's circle were briefed that something ought to have been acted on or done. Nothing appears to have been been done. That's all right. We're getting into the, the realm of territory here where we're getting into like Clinton era 
Lewinsky scandal semantics yeah. of yeah, exactly. well, I wasn't briefed about this issue, but Katie Telford, just hypothetically, just throwing her name out or other members of my staff was briefed about that issue. Like it, if the prime minister's ultimate defense on this ends up being we, oh yeah, maybe there was a briefing about this, but I wasn't there and it wasn't specifically, I don't know. I, I don't know if lunch. he skates on this. Like, I, I, the one, th- you know, the one thing I'll add, even talking to some of my liberal friends this week and even watching my uh, usual suspect liberal proxies uh, for statements, it's not even convincing a lot of them. Like I'm seeing a lot of reluctant, we should probably be taking this more seriously statements from pretty reliable liberals. You know what this reminds me of a bit? And I know you're going to laugh. You're going to say just, you know, I'm a hammer and it looks like a nail. But when um, when the gun control amendments Guns, came yeah. out in mm-hmm. Thursday, remember I said to them, they don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Like that was my immediate reaction. It wasn't, I oppose this. It was, where's their comms plan? And that is what convinced me they'd made a mistake, that they didn't have a comms plan. I don't see a comms plan here again. I, I just I like, a, 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 like a lack of a comms plan, or it could just be panic because bluntly, I mean, this is where we get into the whole conversation around elite capture and sort of the, the, the work that China has done to ingratiate itself among certain echelons of our political sphere. And not just liberals, by the way, not just at the federal oh, level. Um, but at the economic and the political level and just this, just, just elite, elite level, essentially of the country, you know, if you really start to re- to pull away of that, I don't think anyone really knows how deep or damaging it goes. I think that's the actual concern here. Right. Yeah. No, I I would agree with that. And I, I just, I just, I, I hear you on that one. But for me, this is another data point I'm adding to my list of liberals in disarray. Liberals in disarray. So, I mean, on liberals in disarray, a couple of other news points happened since we did the dispatch. One, uh, at G20, Melanie Jolie was um, rebuked by the Chinese for allowing these sorts of baseless rumors about Chinese interference to run rampant. Um, there's a joke in my head that has been working working its way through my noggin about uh, the irony of a country that is known for selling underpriced consumer goods products that aren't quite what people expect when they open the mail, not quite understanding what they were buying into when they decided to go united front in Canada. You know what I mean? Like there's, you know what I'm saying? Like there's, there's some, there's some kind of irony there because once again, you saw a little bit of this with, with the Meng Wanzhou's thing and the, this, the, the puzzlement by the Chinese about why don't you just let her go? I don't get it. Like what do you mean rule of law? What a, what a fucking farce that is. Just let her go. And again, you're sort of seeing it with with Jolie, this sort of subtle, like, why are you letting your media run out of control like this? Well, like, there, very, there seems to, it's very yeah, uncouth. Yeah, it's very uncouth. I mean, rain them in. Yeah, rain them in. Bring let, let, bring the hammer down on those people. A couple of jail sentences will fix this up for you, fix up this problem for you right away. Like, there is there uh, the Chinese are very intelligent, they're very strategically wise, and I think that they actually have some uh, strengths that we in the West broadly don't have. And I, I'm not trying to undermine them. There really just does seem to be this consistent lack of understanding from the Chinese that some of the values that we hold to, even though we're not perfect in in applying those values, we really do believe in them. Mm. And you you can't just shut the media down. You can't just stop them from running rampant. Like Melanie Jolie has no mechanism by which she can do that. Like that just doesn't exist. And, Autocracies and, it, and dictatorships never understand the democracy. No, and they, it's it's almost like it's like yes, yes, we know you have a free press, but really, you know what I mean? It's like no, no, really, <laughs> there's there's a limit to what can be done for than yeah. there. And it's just I just find that fascinating, right? I find that really interesting. But also to me, it was it was an interesting rebuke because that, to me it lends some credence to the idea that one of the reasons why Justin Trudeau presumably, allegedly, lied about being briefed in the first place was not because the dude was compromised, rather because the dude was trying to avoid another big diplomatic row with China. He just didn't want to piss off this country at a moment when when Canada was trying to rebuild some kind of bilateral relationship. And, you know, stories get out, big drama, and once again, we find our bilateral relationship strained um, because of what's coming out in the news. So I, I, I just find that really interesting. Global news kicks off Sino-Canadian War of 2023, yeah. which, by the way, I wouldn't like our odds in. No, um, 
no, 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 no. Yeah, no, I think you're right about that. It's funny. I was watching, uh, I've developed something of a habit over the course of the Ukraine war of watching, uh, in translation, obviously, like Russian state TV broadcasts. And every once in a while, someone gets out there and like tells the truth, mm-hmm. and it's just fascinating to see the look on all the faces of the other panelists. And there oh, was... and this, this, and this came. There was a really good Twitter clip about this kind of happening really recently. That just was yesterday, just yesterday, where yeah. a guy was saying, "We don't understand the West." Well, we... and we've underestimated their unity. We yeah. we thought that they were going to collapse any day now. That would prove to be delusional, and we could lose. Yeah, and bingo, it's the exact same clip I was thinking of. And yeah. um, the comment he made that I thought was so smart was that they can smell that we're losing and they want to win. Like, mm-hmm. the West wants to win. Mm-hmm. And all the other panelists were like, but the decadent West is weak and corrupt. And we've like, and he's like, no, 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 we look weak right now and they want to win. Yeah. <laughs> and I would just say... The, but the world would be a better place if the non-democracies would stop underestimating the democracies, but it would also be a better place if the democracies would stop overestimating themselves. Like, we just need to or have... underestimating ourselves. Pardon me? Or underestimating ourselves. I mean, like, if there's one lesson of history over the last hundred years, and you'd probably be better to speak to it than I would, and that is democracies are slow to get going, but when they oh, do when get we going, go. they're not stoppable. And that's no, we will literally nuke you. We will fucking destroy you. And the reason why that is is because we can generate actual um, consent among the population without terror or use of force. Now, we can't do that easily or quickly. (laughs) But once you actually have the majority or the the, the majority of consent of a a population behind you, you become unstoppable, particularly when you're wealthy, which we are still. So decadent West, my ass, right? Oh, we are decadent, but don't we are completely. Yeah, correctly. Yes. Yeah, no, you're right. I think I think that's exactly it. We are very, very difficult provoke uh, to provoke into a rage. But once we are enraged, like I said, we will literally nuke you, and we and, uh, we will we will burn your cities to the ground. We will conquer your countries. We might regret it later, like two generations we'll later. Feel, we might we'll have feel, seminars. We'll, we will definitely issue an apology about yeah. it in a few generations. You'll get an official apology about it in our free parliaments. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, we will kill you. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I I, th- I think that's a, basically a fairly good read on the geopolitics of democracies at war. And our enemies never understand this. And it always ends up getting both of us into trouble. Um, that's true. Well, the, the other a couple of things on the China front that were flagged. Uh, I don't know if I have a ton more to say about it, but I, I had a laugh this week. So, oh, I want I want I, yeah, I want to return just a minute to something I said before, but the liberals not having a comms plan. They've looked bad since last week. They've just been cycling through a bunch of talking points, uh, sending out some of their less impressive MPs to be their bang, uh, their uh, spear carriers on this to try and. Mark Garrison uh, talking about uh, uh, what was it? Uh, the the money to the Trudeau Foundation was actually making the Conservatives look bad because it happened on Harper's front. Or perhaps the attempt to uh, try and make Pierre Polyev look bad because he took money from Taiwan. To visit Taiwan, yeah, it's not oh, going man. great. You got that's some Ralph level dumb. It's real dumb. That's, it's that's right. Ah, no, my nose. I got it's, my nose. It's really dumb, and I would say on top choo, of it being shoes, you and it has Ralph Wiggum. Okay, I didn't get it at first, but now I get. You said Ralph, and I didn't get it. Ralph, now Wiggum, I get Ralph yeah. Wiggum. Yeah, yeah. Um. The other thing I would just add to it is like they are bad. Bad. (laughs) Liberals spent all week trying to figure out a defensible narrative, sending out Mark Garrison to just say insane things and see if any of them work. And in the midst of this, the Trudeau Foundation takes a look at what's happening and goes, "No, this ain't good." (laughs) And you know, people, I, I, I. I've had true anon types all up my butt this week going, hey, the prime minister's not involved in it. It's a blind trust. They don't get it. Like they think the true anon types overreact to every criticism of the PM. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying he controls the foundation. I know that he doesn't. He doesn't. What I'm saying is that the Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation has a better read on the optics of this. Than the government of Canada. Yes, because they gave the two hundred thousand dollars back. They're refunding a check Eight that the globe late, is linked but... back to China. Yeah, and 
the foundation as an independent entity looks like takes a good look around reads the room reads the reporting in the globe and mail and goes we're going to refund that check right meanwhile thousands of liberals are telling me there's absolutely nothing wrong with it what you want to know one of my rules i never keep defending someone for something they've apologized for yeah because maybe i think they don't have to apologize maybe i think an apology is not warranted when they make it i accept it because if you think you did wrong who am i to tell you you haven't and when the trudeau foundation is like we should probably return this check that might be something worth listening to so there's oh, no. another little side bit about the Trudeau Foundation, and it's something that people have talked about off and on for the last you know eight years or so. But what does this thing really exist for, and how could it? I understand that the Trudeau Foundation was the Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation was meant to be a legacy trust um, in the name of the now late Elder Trudeau. Mm-hmm. I get that. But the second that this thing, at the second that we have a younger Trudeau as prime minister, the Trudeau Foundation, firstly, it became flush with cash from mostly foreign donations who people who wanted to curry a little favor with the existing prime minister. I'm not saying mm-hmm. work, but I'm saying that's demonstrably true. Um, and you just it, it just became an absolute giant potential problem. Yeah, it, that's a mm-hmm. And I don't know why that didn't either change its name, distance itself from the Trudeau legacy, or temporarily shut down. Like, you know, like, I I just sort of see, like, there was, there's no way that that wasn't going to cause problems for the existing prime minister eventually. It was the exact same thing as the Clinton Foundation, right? No, we we know that, that, that the Clintons are not personally profiting off the Clinton Foundation, but the Clintons don't need to personally profit off the Clinton Foundation. They got plenty of money. What they want to do is establish a legacy. And if an X number dollar check to the Clinton Foundation gets you some FaceTime. You know, you know, we got, we got, we got some potential conflicts and problems here. And, and Trudeau, the Trudeau Foundation runs into exactly the same issue. And this whole Chinese donation, even though it's a comparably, comparatively small donation, and it is, it's not a huge donation. Um, And I don't think it actually bought them anything, but it still raises huge optics and conflict problems. So why is this thing still active? Why is this thing still in existence? Why can't it just become the Trudeau Foundation after Trudeau Trudeau Jr. retires? You and I, I are both um, veterans of Post Media. We've both spent part of our professional career at Post Media, which is owned uh, majority stake by an American hedge fund. Mm-hmm. That American hedge fund, in the eyes of many people, permanently compromises you and I. There's the assumption that mm-hmm. because there's an American owner in there somewhere that you and I are just puppets who are issued talking points that we dutifully recite because we are drones controlled by right-wing I mean, Americans. The chip, the chip they put in your head is, is really hard to get out, let me tell you. And I've it's tried. compelling. Those exact same people, in many cases, the exact same individuals will never understand why a multi-hundred-thousand-dollar donation to his daddy's foundation may put the prime minister of of a G7 country in at least a perceived ethical conflict. Yeah. It's like there's just this complete gap in understanding. And I agree with you. I don't think the prime minister's compromised. I think he might be in some political trouble. Like, I could believe that some stuff's going to come out that's going to be politically embarrassing to the prime minister. I don't believe he's a Chinese asset. No. But, I don't think that's plausible. Yeah, but I just think that there is a refusal on the on the part of many to understand that this doesn't look good. And I think, um, I, I always quote Chris Selly, liberals are the kind of people, liberals will never believe that they would ever be the kind of people who would do the things they're doing. Well, and the other thing I think is, do I think that the prime minister is an asset? No. But do I think that China has perhaps worked its way into enough relationships of power and convenience to make us a problematic potential ally to many of our traditional partners? I think that's within the realm of possibility. We'll see where this story goes. Like, you know what I mean? Like, 
I I think that this this is this is problematic. I don't think that this is academic. Um, you know what? I would I would say this. I think a lot of our allies have very similar problems to we do with Chinese oh, interference. Yes, they do. I think most of our allies are dealing with it more responsibly than we are. Most of our allies are dealing with it. Yeah. Tristan Hopper Just cracked me up that. this week. Stop uh, that sentence right there. Uh, Hopper um, cracked me up, or Hooper, as I insist on calling him, just because I've called him that since he's an intern. Um, he noted this week, and it um, made me laugh because it tied in with my poet column, that if you take a look at how Canada lately has been handling problems, it's like a few thousand reasonably well-trained event planners almost overthrew our democracy, and then mid-level political staff at like a Chinese consulate in <laughs> Toronto have knocked us into a scandal. We're not, we're not, we're not fit very, for battle. We're not very good at yeah. things. We're not very good at things. That's, uh, that's going to be the dispatcher title. We're not very good at things. <laughs> oh boy. Um, Including headline writing, apparently. I mean, the only other thing that I have to say, for firstly, the, the other piece of news that came out on the China file was, of course, um, it started to get a little bit more attention that uh, Justin Trudeau's writing association had received a lot of kind of dodgy, yeah. suspicious $1,500. Um, that's funny. That was the checks. only item left on my list on this yeah. too. Yeah, and all from Vancouver. <laughs> it's just fuck. Now this one has been circulating for a really long time, um, and also, you know, if China were to try and uh, launder money into Justin Trudeau's personal riding association this way, that's a pretty politically amateurish move. Like it's just that 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 didn't buy you anything. I, I just I just. Justin Trudeau did not need help winning Papineau. Like, I don't know. And I don't think they're allowed to to move cash between riding associations and party HQ. So like I, it, you bought some signs. Good job. Yeah. For, you know, like this, 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 that would have been a very politically amateurish thing to do, but pretty weird. You know what? I've looked at the documents that have been released now that shows a lot of out, out of riding donations to Mr. Trudeau's riding association. And they're all, they're conspicuously Chinese names and yeah. they're all very similar amounts. And I would just say the funny thing is too, and this is me citing uh Hopper Hooper again. Um, China probably didn't expect much out of this, right? Like low investment, low expectations. It's like, well, you know, well, We'll we'll horse whip the diaspora into throwing a few bucks at the new guy, and then maybe we'll call in some favors later. Like it didn't have to be this complicated James Bond villain master plan. And here is how we shall com uh, compromise Canadian institutions. It was, hey, it looks like this guy's gonna win. So let's just basically pull some strings and throw a few bucks at his dad's foundation. We'll make sure his writing gets a bunch of donations. <laughs> come from china the mainland at all this might have just come from like there are some chinese organizers yeah. in vancouver who encouraged a bunch of people who were in his networks to donate money to justin Trudeau directly there may be nothing to this at all i don't know it's worth looking at though yeah um i mean it's the pic it's the picture you get when you pull away and look at it from a hundred thousand feet right yeah, I, f I felt the same way this week reading the Rosenberg report, uh, which we talked mm -hmm. about in our uh, China uh, dispatch on Wednesday. Uh, 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 Mr. Rosenberg, the, the bureaucrat who who had written it, is, to, to my mind, totally legit dude, totally straight and narrow. I, I, I got no problems with this guy. Sure, he's eminently qualified. But as we said in the dispatch, the fact that he himself has links to the Trudeau Foundation at the time they were cashing these Chinese checks there's not, I don't see anything nefarious there, and I'm not implying anything nefarious there, but the optics are bad. And again, there's just this blind spot, I think. The very same people who think you and I are tarnished for life because American investors once held a large stake in a company I work for will not see the problem in the guy writing about China's electoral interference in Canada having been the head of the Prime Minister's Daddy's Foundation accepting Chinese money. Well, There's just a disconnect there about the optics. And I just think the liberal like liberal supporters and some partisan liberals themselves, Selly has it right. They just cannot believe they would ever be accused of doing the things they're doing. Well, but then... There's optics, and then when you pull back, you see there is a pattern here. 
There are patterns of behaviors. There are patterns of, of movements of cash. There are patterns of people. And in, in, the problem with this is that, you know, patterns aren't facts. And it's really easy to fall into conspiracy theory territory where it's like this person, this person, this money went into that person, blah, 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 blah. So you don't want to overstate it. And I think that we should state again, we've been very clear about this. And I think most media have covered this, have, have made this point very responsibly. And that is, there is no evidence that the Chinese interference was successful in actually changing the outcome of the election. It I would even probably, say at the end, there's evidence to the contrary. Seems to have been sure. a solid election. It was a solid election. But there may have been some evidence that a couple of writings maybe changed hands, but none of it was, was enough to actually change the outcome. So like, let's just get that right off the table. I think that that's, I, I just don't, I just think that's emphatically true. So far from what I can tell. But there's patterns of what I would what I've mentioned before of elite capture here. Increasingly insular Ottawa elite that are broadly connected to the liberal fold, the liberal diaspora, but not exclusively the liberal diaspora, who are economically or politically attached, connected to, um, interested in china chinese interests in 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 some vague way and i think that there's now when you pull back the 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 scope of it you you do see these sorts of consistent patterns that does suggest that it's not just a one-time thing where chinese influence is trying to try to sway the outcome of a single election there has been an ongoing years-long campaign to by the chip by the chinese government to ensure that their interests are represented fairly or unfairly in our democratic processes and that's worth paying attention to you've gone mute again yes i am on mute um you and i are directly aware of how much chinese money has influenced canadian lobbying and Mm -hmm. communication companies um when and it's all very legal but like yep. when when China is considering perhaps some kind of investment in uh, Canadian natural resources, their lobbying team and their communications team is lavishly funded. And yep. there's nothing illegal about that. Like th- that's soft power. Like that's what we talk about. We talk about soft power sometimes. And it's what the West does in other countries as oh, well. God, so of like course. This is yeah. just what it is. I just think we in Canada... I don't think we're facing any unusual threats from China on this front. I think what we are is unusually incapable of defending ourselves. I think we have a very weak immune system. We have a weak immune system. And the other thing I would say is that Canada, I think, maybe is uniquely vulnerable in the way that Australia and New Zealand is is weakly vulnerable in that uh, our dependence on China economically is high. Um, which makes us uh, a little like we're not America in the sense that we're our own economic force of nature. Our dependence on America is high, so high that if, you know, we want to diversify, China's the obvious go-to. And we're a Western country that uh, has a say in the Western world. And if, you know, if you're, if you're a country like China and you want to have more power within the Western world, we're an obvious target, right? Um, Mid-tier powers are an obvious target for China in a way that America, they they couldn't do or wouldn't do many of the same things they're doing to us in America, right? Like, they're, they're, firstly, America has a much stronger immune system than we do, ironically. Um, and secondly, oh, the like, Americans would punch back. Yeah, the Americans would punch back, and we can't, right? So we're in this really weird. Being a middle power puts us in this really weird, precarious spot where I think we're actually kind of uniquely vulnerable. But anyway, that's just me pontificating. Um, no, I agree with you. I look. I think that kind of ties a ribbon around the China stuff. I think because we already covered so much of it on on Wednesday. And Anything else are you talking about it? Yeah, the only other thing I want to talk about is what the fuck's going on at the CBC. It's not that they haven't covered the China stuff, but every time I I, I, I open up the CBC, it's like they're talking about TikTok in China, or they're talking about you know Christine and or that Chris that the the Inuit artist opens new ex- exhibit in Winnipeg, or, Christi- or it's or it's did you did you hear that um, several of of the Conservative Party caucus members were um, caught meeting with this far right. European Union woman whom I never heard of until last week. We covered this last week and they're still covering it this week. You know what I mean? Like it was really fucking stupid for those three Tory MPs to meet with that woman. Yeah. 
it's not out of my baseline expectations for conservative stupidity. No, and like the idea that that is still a bigger story than what's happening with Chinese inter- influence is just completely batshit. So, you know, it's not that the CBC hasn't covered the story, but it's underplayed this story so dramatically, it's been impossible to ignore just how dramatically. And like, I think the highest profile thing they've had about it, especially online, has been this bizarre column by uh, Aaron Weary, where it's like, well, the Chinese certainly have succeeded in kicking up a media fuss. You know, it's just, it's so weird. I don't, I can't account for it. Like, but it's really bizarre how little attention they're giving to this story. All right. Well, look. I was out of town, as, I've, as I mentioned last week. I was gone all weekend. Um, uh, out of town, offline. Was not paying attention to the news. As I was leaving for the hockey tournament, Global News last week was dropping the big scoop. They were naming Handong. They were really kind of peeling back some of the layers on the onion. And back at the hotel room on Friday and Saturday nights, and then even on Sunday by the pool when the tournament was over, when the kids were just splashing around, I'm like reading through all the news sites. I'm getting caught up in everything. And I was, I noted that the star and the CBC were silent. The star and the CBC are often felt by many to have a left-wing bias. And I thought to myself, interesting. My gut feeling was that it was not an issue of bias. And I, I had a Twitter thread where I talked about this. I said, I bet this is actually an issue of weekend staffing where some editor has decided, hey, look, Global got a big story on Friday night and come Monday morning, we're going to put one of our big guns on it and then we'll come up with something. And in the case of the Toronto Star, that's basically exactly what happened. Uh, By fairly early on Monday, there was a very good comprehensive article that the Star came up with and published. You know what? I think it would have looked better on them and they might have done themselves some favors if they'd had that out 24 hours earlier. But you know what? I get it. Like I was sitting at a pool like I wasn't working either on the weekend. So no problem. I'm not I'm not going to cause anyone any problems. And I I kept watching CBC.ca slash news kind of going any minute now. I'm sure the CBC will have their story. And it and it didn't happen. And. I uh, when I tweeted this out, I did hear back quite quickly that CBC Radio One and CBC Newsnet had been covering it. So the broadcast um, component of of, of the Mother Corps uh, responded quickly, and they were covering the story. I I wasn't able because I was out and about. I wasn't watching or listening. I was no, and I mean I, I'm not claiming that I have a 24 seven ears and eyes to yeah. the CBC either. So. And I, Newsnet is one of those areas I don't really pay attention to, but good good for them. But I mean, it also is interesting to me that, you know, the hard news sections of CBC are covering it, but the softer news sections of CBC are basically almost underplaying it. It's, it's, it's weird. Honestly, let me just pull up and here I am. I'm going to tell you the top 10 stories on the CBC right now. Okay. A single and foreign. These are, these, is, are not, these are not the most popular ones. These are, these are the top, top story. These are selected by the editors. A single foreign worker blew the lid off a massive international trafficking ring north of Toronto, police say. Okay. That's okay. that's that's a worthy story. That's good. Yeah. No, so you're getting the Toronto news here. You're not getting CBC National. No, this is national. I went to I, I have the uh top national story okay. selected. Sorry. Okay, all right. Uh Mexican man who died near US border struggled to pay bills in Canada, family says. Nice. Okay, good story. Asylum seekers bust to communities that struggle to help them. For these asylum seekers, Windsor feels like home. Roxham Road is just a small piece of a global migration crisis. What is the third safe country agreement? U.S. Republicans are warning migration from Canada is a problem. Nordstrom followed familiar path to failure. Too big, too fast, not Canadian enough. Family of Saskatchewan man who had stroke in U.S. relieved after Blue Cross changes mind, agrees to cover $500,000 bill. A new streaming bill is close to becoming law in Canada. Here's how it works. Now I'm just honestly quickly scrolling down here. Oh, here's one. Trudeau slaps down questions about public inquiry into election meddling. Let me just count quickly how many stories are above that. One, two, three, four, five. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. It is the fifteenth story currently on CBC.ca slash news. And it's being covered very much as a reaction. Process. To P- PM Process said this. Story, yeah. Okay. So, I'm sorry, but is that 
I'm like out to lunch. That feels really weird to me. Really I I think it I think it's a problem, and I I don't know how to explain it. I don't think it's good, and I don't think it's helping the CBC. I think it's going to make their problems worse. I think right now yeah. the CBC has a target on their back, and they could be doing things to make their lives easier. This ain't that. Yeah. Anyway, if there's yeah. any uh, if there's any any insight into why the CBC is making that decision, because I mean, like, there's a certain point where you have to be like, that's a decision you've made a decision to not not cover this but to undercover this or to underplay this just out of curiosity now i'm jumping around all the major news pages toronto star has it in third position uh behind a uh local exclusive plus a weather warning we got a blizzard coming yeah okay i get it weather warnings always take precedence especially in a local newspaper 100 yeah national post has it as lead item uh globe and mail I think the Jolie stuff was lead item earlier today. Um, lead items right now. No, it's not in the lead right now. It's it's near the top, but it's down a bit under. It looks like they just came up with a big Ukraine package. Oh, big fair bunch enough. of articles. Okay, so about so that. they're 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 releasing their their weekend Ukraine package then. Yep, CTV News. Okay. Let's check out them. So for people- uh, it's in number three position at CTV News. And that probably the weather is their number one. Uh, no, they, they've got, I, I'm at national. I'm sure it would be for local uh, okay. CBB Toronto. Uh, it's the Nordstrom closure, which is kind of a weird choice. No, Nordstrom, I, I think it's a weird choice, but I can, I, Nordstrom is actually a major breaking news story. There's 2,500 jobs attached to it. It's a major prestige brand. I, I could justify it at this point in the scandal. I, I, it, it doesn't, it's not off to me that Nordstrom would be one of your top. Um, global news has it near the top, but it is mostly right now storm coverage for the blizzard rolling, which is a local paper makes sense. So, I mean, and even when I, when I say with the globe, it's like, okay, so if you're, if you're, if they were coming up with a big Ukraine package, they've probably been working on that for a couple of weeks. And so they're trying to roll that one out before the weekend paper. So yeah. Okay. So that, that, if you were to put the, the China stuff sort of second or third underneath there makes perfect sense to me. So, I mean, we're, we're, we're making this, these observations late on a Friday, two weeks into the scandal, late on a Friday, two weeks in the scandal, most made all of the major newspapers or or news outlets are still putting this as one of their prominent top scandals, except for the CBC where it's 15th and a process story. That is, that is bizarre. That is a, choice and that is bizarre news judgment in my in my brain i cannot reconcile that i agree with you and again it's they're not doing themselves any favors um uh speaking speaking of of media we just want to talk quickly layoffs well i mean fuck um what can i say um so we talked a couple weeks ago how the axe is falling at post media and that process actually hasn't resolved itself yet um this is which is crazy it's ongoing yep um it's kind of it's been working its way through the Montreal Gazette took some losses recently I think the papers out in Vancouver have taken some losses uh I'm I'm obviously in touch with my friends at the National Post and what can I say like all I can do is tell them I love them and I wish them the best like I worked with these guys side by side for like 14 years and I don't know if all of them are going to keep their jobs and this is a year so I feel terrible for them um and then this week, uh, we find out that uh, the axe has fallen again at uh, Global News. I haven't seen a full list of losses, but some high, relatively high-profile uh, journalists at Global News have been let go. I'm given to understand an entire sports department in Edmonton is gone. And sports sports in a metro market is a big deal. Yeah, like you, that's a big deal. Like, my God, like the Oilers alone should have a team following them. So it's frustrating. Um, I, you know, again, like I don't know what to say. Um, the only thing I would I, I have to observe on this one is that a couple people have noted that particularly the, the layoffs at Global seem to have centered a lot on young women. Oh, um, yeah. Young women wow. to, yeah. There's one thing I think that's worth noting on that one, and that is that's the union. Yeah. You work for a union shop, and yep. it's always going to be uh, last in. in, first in, first in, or last in, first out. Yeah, that's right. That's that's just that's what it is, and that's why, firstly, union shops are kind of shitty to work for. Monthly, I I, I found like I, I just found like every union newsroom I ever worked for was was really uh, rigid and and difficult, um, and it, and it just meant that uh, fresh young talent just consistently got blown out the hole, 
And it's also, secondly to that, it's also why newsrooms really struggle to diversify. Mm-hmm. Because as the countries become more diverse, a lot of the young talent coming up is t- coming is up more, more diverse. diverse, and it's also far less likely to find a permanent, stable foothold within any as with any newsroom because of the existing union structures. Because so, the union is protecting the newsroom as it would have looked when someone joined thirty years ago. That's right. Thirty year and, career. And thirty years and thirty years ago, Canada was a hell of a lot whiter. Thirty years ago, it was nineteen ninety three. Yep. So this is, and this is, this is one of, we've talked about this um, quite extensively, but you're seeing this in real time, how this actually plays out. And it's, it's, it sucks. It's awful. And I feel very bad for everyone who's laid off. And this is why we don't work in newsrooms anymore. In the early nineties, you were probably starting to see, I won't call it gender balance, but you would have been seeing a lot more women joining the media, but it would have been overwhelmingly white. Oh Yeah. overwhelmingly and then every every bit of progress we've made in recent years to have more representative more diverse newsrooms every time there's a culling the newbies go and of course the cullings now are now exponentially growing on themselves the culling grows on the culling grows on the culling grows on the culling so now you're starting to eat into people who were probably hired 10 15 years ago you know Uh, what i mean not not only that yes but i will also add where are these people going to go they're all going to find great careers. I have no, yeah. I have no concern about the ability of any of these people to put food on the table because they're all smart, they're ambitious, they're they're good at what they do. They're going to land. That's not going to be a problem. Anybody who actually landed a job in a newsroom is smart and ambitious enough to make it. <laughs> to to fight your way up through that. To fight your way up, nightmare. like you'll be you'll be fine. You just won't make it in journalism. Yeah, because like, I tried to explain to someone the other day that it's like musical chairs. For an entire industry, right? Yoink, all the chairs go out and you're like, well, well, shit. And it's it's all the, the relatively young newcomers who are more, I mean, not 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 universally women of color, but more diverse than yeah, the balance more, of the Disproportionately more likely to be women of color, the less seniority you have. Yeah. And it's musical chairs because not only are they getting laid off from, in this case, global, but that like it's not like Bell Media is hiring right now. It Post Media is letting people go. Yeah. We've heard rumblings. We, we won't we won't say anything here. But we know we know that there are other there's another round of layoffs coming at a lo- another large outlet. So all these God bless these young these young journalists these kids. Um, but they're gonna. I'm at the age now where everyone in their twenties looks like a kid to me. I know. Aren't they these, so young and sweet? These kids are going to get their resumes burnished up. They're going to get their um, portfolios ready and they're going to start sending them off to all the legacy news outlets in the country, which are in the midst of preparing their own next round of layoffs. I mean, the, the horrible thing in all of this is, is and this is why I just find it so depressing, is that if you can manage to cling into this industry by your fingernails for 10 to 15 years, the whole career outlook just radically changes for you. Because if you've you made it. To- well, yeah, but I mean, if you can get to our age and still be in and still have a resume, like we can have jobs where we want now because there's so there's comparatively large amounts of demand for mid yeah. mid career talent. So people who you don't necessarily have to train, people you can put into an editorial position, people who have news judgment and experience. You know, there's 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 jobs available at that tier, but you have to cling in by your fingernails for yep. ten to fifteen years, and most of our peers haven't. It just, it, they just haven't, right? Like very few. Over the last two years, I've had two, I've had two job opportunities. I'm not going to say offers because I never had paper put in front of me because in both cases, I shut them both down very quickly. I said, no, I'm not interested. But I've had two opportunities presented to me that would have brought me back into the legacy media in very senior roles mm-hmm. because I have enough experience now and I'm also young enough yeah. that I can actually still be brought into a senior role. Yeah. And I'm not a dinosaur on the way out yet. I'll get there, but I'm not quite there yet. And I just wasn't interested in doing that because I'd rather focus my energy on building something new than managing the decline of something old. Yeah. Um, but no, you're right. And the problem is it's it's hunger games for the for the young ones who are never gonna have the chance to get enough skin in the game to ever be offered the kind of jobs that come my way every couple of years. Well, they they will some of them will. Some of them will. A but, few. But, yeah. But it, you're really running on a 90-10 rule here. Is what I'm. Is what I'm. For every one that manages to stick around, you know, nine are going to wash out, 
or they're just not going to wash it. That's a terrible way of putting it. They're going to do the smart thing and take a better paying job in any other field. Right? Oh no, That's some of them will wash do. out. And I'm 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 brutal about this. Um, I, uh, I I I tell young journalists, take care of yourself. Like get out. But people who join this industry, as you say, and if you make it into the newsroom, you've got stars in your eyes and fire in your blood and you're a true believer and it just eats you and it spits you out. And I, I just don't, I don't, I just can't like, honestly, I did, I did my time in that trench, um, left, uh, seems, seems like it was more than two years ago now since I pulled the plug and left traditional legacy media in any kind of full-time position two opportunities to go back and it's just oh no like it the idea of it sours my stomach um, can, I, can i point out i have not been offered two opportunities to take on highly senior roles at mainstream media matt i had more managerial just, experience than you did. that's just no that's just everyday sexism right there for it's you. that also, plus that i have more managerial experience because that's also, where the opportunities are plus i'm also disorganized as shit so that's probably working against me I have no, and I have no capacity for diplomacy. I was going to say, we start the <laughs> podcast video by you pulling your hair over your face, like <laughs> six, six HR talent spotters to scratch your name <laughs> off the list. Um, anything else on the list today? I mean, it's kind of a depressing place to end it, but I mean, like, we're going to talk about the teacher in Oakville with the giant tits, but you know what? I think that that probably is where we do need to end it. Also, remember when we were shooting down UFOs? That was great. It was great. I missed that. We need we Miss need that. more of that back. Miss, miss that. We need more UFO shooting down. Okay. Um. Yeah, the Oakville teacher is interesting. The more you're thinking about it, I'm just looking at the clock here because I got to go. No, soon. I got to go. Like we don't have time to talk about this, but let let's let's noodle this one and see if we want to come back to it. All right. All right. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, um, sorry, everybody at Post Media and Global. I it, it sucks, and we feel you. And we'll we'll work out who's going to write what Why? later. Yeah. I got to go do Blizzard prep. You know, it's cool though. My my on Saturday mornings, I have an oh my god o'clock hockey practice for my son. Canceled. <laughs> the storm's going to be right through the night. I get to sleep in on a Saturday. That's very nice. It's rare. All right. Thanks, right. Jen. Thanks, everybody. All right, everybody, that's it for us. For Jen Gerson, this is Matt Gurney. We hope you enjoyed the latest episode of the Lions Experimental Podcast.